there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up, making things happen. Creative people and how they do their thing, how they hang in, how they keep it going, why they do it. I love talking about all that stuff. Today my guest is somebody that's in town from Atlanta. Chad Darnell is an actor. He's also a filmmaker, writer-director, and a casting director. And we know each other a little bit from when he was living here in L.A., but he moved back to Atlanta and he posted something on Facebook about a project he's been developing for a very long time, a biopic about the 90s gay porn star Joey Stefano. And it caught my eye. I'm a Stefano fan uh, from back in the day and I was intrigued. And so we started to chat and then he came out here to shoot another movie. And so we made it happen. We, we did a podcast together. So before I get to the interview with Chad, though, I want to mention my website, DennisAnyone.net. Uh, if you go there, you can see all the different episodes we've done. Uh, you can also email me at uh, Dennis at DennisHensley.com if you have any feedback or thoughts or ideas or this, that, or the other. And um, I also want to let you know that You Don't Know My Life is my party game. And uh, we've been doing game nights here in L.A. that are really fun. We've got one coming up March 20th that we're going to be a part of. And um, you can also follow us on uh, Instagram with that, YDKML Game, and we'll be posting all the info about that. So that's enough plugs for this week. Uh, here, without any further ado, it's Chad Darnell. Hey there, coming to you from a charming guest house in <laughs> Studio City, California. I'm here with Chad Darnell, visiting yeah. from Atlanta, but actually working here. He just directed a feature film that he wrote called The Undertaker's Wife. Yes. You have a lot going on. Where, where are we? We are in Studio City. We're at, we're at my little guest house that was rented for my for my film. And I there you go. So do you know the people that live here? Or are you, I don't. It, it was Airbnb? total Airbnb. Yeah. I love it. It's charming. I met him this morning. I've All right, nice. Weeks. Four weeks. Here. This is where you come after a long day on the set to yeah. unwind. And I like fall asleep on that couch writing. Nice. Every every night. There you go. What are you writing? You're you're directing a movie. You don't need to be writing. Yeah, I know. It's but I have another movie that's uh, the investors and the producers are interested in right now. So we may try to knock it out in May. So I'm trying to get that draft done as quickly as possible so we can get out to casting. You've got so much going on. Yeah. I met you when you lived in L.A. Yeah, I was talked to you. Yeah, and you are from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. You came out here, okay. and then you went back to Atlanta, and I yeah. know a few people. That have gone back there and had their show business careers blow up. David Moretti. Yes. Yeah. That's who I was uh, thinking he, of. Yeah. He's. Yeah. That asshole's working all the time now. Right. One of my very different. We're planning a trip to New York right now. There you go. So has that been your experience? Have you, That did, has not been my experience. Right. <laughs> but it seems like you got a lot going on. Yeah. No. It was. When I moved back to Atlanta, I moved back to do the casting thing. And, and Atlanta was just starting to blow up. Like there right. was two TV series. Right. In 2013. Right. And now it's like everywhere you turn, there's a, a camera crew or somebody shooting. Wow. Um, but I you know, I moved back to get into casting and also make my own projects. And now I'm at the point where it's like I'm definitely trying to get out of casting. And more into writing, writing and directing. And, directing. and you and also acting. act. Yeah. yeah, all of it. So you're here shooting a movie called The Undertaker's yeah. Wife. Just wrapped last night. It sounds scary, is it? It is, yeah. Is it a horror movie? I like to say it's a thriller with horror tropes. Like, okay. I got really excited when I saw Parasite because I'm like, Granted, my movie is not Parasite, but right. it's, I got excited because I'm like, that's kind of the movie that I... Right. When you, you see it, you'll understand it. You wouldn't call Parasite a horror movie. You might even call it... You might call it a thriller, but not... Yeah. It's, more, it's something else. It's, but, it's its own thing. But there's that section in the is. middle that seems particularly thriller-esque. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, so what's the story? What can you tell us about the story? It's about a, a husband and wife who moved back, to, or they moved to a small town in Georgia. Right. And into an historic funeral home. They are uh, morticians themselves. Uh, four years earlier, they had lost a child in a drunk driving accident. And... Uh, Bad things happen. And I'm going to turn my phone off. That's all right. It happens. We love a freewheeling, anything can happen moment. Um, what inspired you to write it? Oh, my God. So there was a movie that I will not name, but there was a horror movie that came out about two years ago. Okay. And everybody was talking about how this was the scariest movie they'd ever seen. I was like, this is not scary at all. This is like they took every genre of, or every like scary thing in a horror movie and dubbed it in a blender. So I sat down and I, I wrote Undertaker's Wife in five days. Wow. And David Brown, who's my producer, he, he optioned it immediately. And the thing that, I, so the reason I say it's not a horror movie, it's like, it's a, I mean, I guess it is because it's quote unquote scary, but it, the, the scares are not, I don't know how to describe it. You'll have to see it. Okay. Like, yeah. I'm it, it's one of those to... where it's like, it's very different in that way. Like everybody who's, who read the script, the first thing they said was, is it, it's not a horror movie. But it kind of is. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. So that's where it would be in a blockbuster video store. It'll probably fall in that. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. If, there is, if there was such a thing. Netflix will definitely tie it Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, so is it your first major feature that you directed? My first major feature. I did a little feature called Birthday Cake uh, a few years ago. It was $15,000, five-day shoot. Do- yeah. Mockumentary style. Nice. But this is the first one where it was like, there are actually people on a set, like, please don't touch that. There are wow. people who do that. So that was nice. I, and we were trying to set this up as you were sort of doing that, and you're like, "Oh, we're ahead of schedule." I'm like, "What movie is like? Oh, we're still we're way ahead of schedule." Like, what? we had a 15 day shoot, and we got it down to 14 days. Yeah, yeah. Wrapped. Why? I had oh my efficient, god, my DP, good actors. Um, no, my DP was the best. His name's Igor, and he I called him my little Russian. Yeah, his camera group and electric crew, they're all Russian, and one and one, and one Indian uh, East Indian uh, man. And uh, they they were the best, and they were so, they were so funny. And but they moved. We I moved fast, and they moved super fast. And so there would be times I'm like I'm gonna go ten one, and they're like, okay, I'm ready. I was like, I, I couldn't even get to the bathroom. There is ten one bathroom. Bathroom, yeah. Does that mean number one? Just that's number, number one. one. Yeah, and ten two does mean the other. Really? You never want to call that out. Yeah. But that that's literally a code yeah, thing. That's, wow. I'm going to the bathroom, and it's that con- It's yeah. number two. Yeah. I, <laughs> I learned something it's, new it's, about it's very movie rarely making. Called out yeah. No, you, you would you would say ten one even though you're and then you go oh I guess I ended up being two it, ten it, two it, even though was, you knew it was going to be ten two. There was more to work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you enjoy directing? Do you love it? I did. And the funny thing was, back years ago, uh, yeah. and when I was in film school, like I did not want to direct because I felt very uncomfortable about telling actors what... Like, I hated the directing class that I'd taken in college because I yeah. didn't feel confident or comfortable telling another actor what to do. Right. And that's how I saw directing. And even in casting, it's like, I can tell... You know, I can work an actor into a... You know, that's the right person for the role. I can help get them there. Yeah. And then when I... All the years of casting and then actually having to get in there and get a performance out of somebody... I realized that's what I was doing, but I also knew nothing about camera. Right. I knew nothing about editing. Right. So I feel, again, like I can't be a director. And, you know, as Joey Stefano, as the thing, as I settled on this one piece that I really, really wanted to do, and I knew I'm the person who can tell the story. Right. Everybody was telling me, no, a DP is the one who lines up the shot. An editor is the one who edits your film. You just have to tell the story through the actors and through your vision. And so this, you know, Birthday Cake was very, I was in it, so I was, I never got to see a monitor. I was having to take it from shots that, yeah. and I, there was no playback. Right. Fortunately, it cut together. 
It's not Schindler's List, but it right. did really well on the festival circuit. Is it online streaming? Well, I, I'm not going to answer that question because it might be, but it's it's not. I mean, it's like when you go back and you watch it now, it's like, oh god, this was okay. like it was all right. It was slap shot. I mean, we did, but it did well, you know, yeah. for the festival circuit, it won a lot of awards. But then when you're going through your Hulu or whatever, and yeah. it's like you see it, and it's like, what is this piece of shit? I mean, it's yeah. because it's just it fit a certain right. It, it was a low budget. It was low budget. Thing, but you made Fun it story. I mean, the short film, yeah. uh, uh, Groom's Cake, which was a short film yeah. version of the birthday cake, was a sequel. Right. Groom's Cake won every festival that it went into. Yeah. And so, of course, we 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 innocently thought, let's do a feature film version of the of that and right. and make it and and also it was it was also dead on arrival because it was a movie about marriage equality and marriage equality became law of the land a week after my movie hit distribution. So it was right. suddenly a period film. Right. After it hit. Yeah, period. so you, you, you had, the whole tension of your story probably yeah. was worked out now yeah. before the credits even yeah. started. Um, the reason that oh, we connected recently is because I read online that you are developing a story about Joey Stefano, yeah. a 90s gay porn star. Yeah. Uh, I happen to be a fan. Yeah. And I was like, he's doing this movie about Joey Stefano because he died tragically. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about Joey Stefano. First of all, I'm so thankful for you letting me do this because I, that article that I wrote, there's only so much you can write without it becoming a novella. Yeah. And there's so, and there's so much that has not been out. So I'm, I'm, this is the first time I've actually got to share this. Like, I love it. Okay. So uh, 2000, week after 2001, uh, September 11, 2001. So it was like September 17th because the receipt wow. was in the book. Uh, I was at a different light bookstore, which is where I saw, which I got my, my copy of Screening Party. From. There you go. Thank you very uh, much. God rest its soul. God rest its It's such a good book. Uh, yeah, thank you. It was on my nightstand for years. Thank you. Uh, so I, uh, the, the biopic, the biopic, the, the um, biography of right. Joey Stefano fell off a shelf in front of me. Picked it up. Literally fell off a shelf. Yeah, and then that happened a couple of times when I was in development. Uh, Randy Schultz's book, uh, content of me coming off the shelf, and then yeah. I ended up writing a script about that. You need better. Do you need better shelves, or are you getting divine inspiration? I, th- I would like to think that it's divine inspiration. Okay, cool. Like, or, All right. Or yeah, really shitty bookstores. Okay. Uh, so so they fell off shelves in bookstores, not yeah, yeah, yeah. They okay. were yeah. That's where I found the book. Yeah. So and so I picked up content of me coming. I picked up uh, Wonder Bread next to see. Yeah. Took it home, read it in one sitting, and something felt off about the book. It just and it wasn't. Just something needs like you know when you read something this doesn't something seems off about it right um, and I couldn't figure out what it was I emailed Shishi Larue and I said I want to turn this into a movie Shishi Larue is a legendary gay porn director porn producer director producer, yeah uh, icon in our community yeah and he wrote me back and he said I had zero interest in ever talking to you about this as a film book went on a shelf collected dust for nine years wow and that was I mean the, but the, I knew that I could not tell the story it, without him. But also his shutting of it, shutting it down like that, makes me think, oh, there's a story there, right? It makes you more intrigued. Yeah, it's not like mm, that was. I don't really. Yeah, it was. You know, he wasn't um, indifferent. He was no. like, no, no, no comments. Yeah, and of course, as we would find out later, cut to nine years later, I'm ready to move back to um, Atlanta because I'd been in casting, didn't want to do extras casting anymore. I was unemployed. I'd gone through cancer at that point. And the, the industry was just a beginning to trickle boom, but nothing had really happened. The tax credits had happened. Yeah. And Atlanta. Yeah. And I had done a little no-budget, low-budget movie called Away with my friends. And we it was like nine stories that take place in a hotel. Right. I wrote half of them, and another person who also directed it wrote half of them. And I, 
there wasn't a lot of cohesion in our stories. And like, and I felt like we needed to have more. It was a bad film. Okay. Never saw the light of day. And he, his comment was, well, we'll fix it in post. I'm like, that's not a thing. Like you can't fix a story in post. Yeah. And, um, so I was frustrated. I was writing me back. My friend, Adam Kukulich, who was an, an adult uh, entertainment performer. He was in the movie. We were having drinks at, um, St. Felix. And he said, you know, I think you should be a director. I was like, I can't direct. I don't want to direct. And he's like, he goes, no, people were coming to you on set and asking you about the script and not going to the director. He's like, people wanted your, you know, that you were giving them direction. I was like, I wasn't really, I was just telling them. So I said, the only story I ever wanted to tell is Joey Stefano. And he knew Larry, Shishi. And he said, um, well, you know, I think you should talk to him. I said, no. He said, zero interest. He said, well, I think enough time has passed now. We should, you should talk to him. Then Mr. Drinks, we're walking back to my car. We run into Shishi LaRue in front of what is now Flaming Saddle. I can't remember what it was back in the, yeah. uh, it was 11. Right. It was called 11. 11 yeah. 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 It's a bar in West Hollywood. Yeah. And so he was there. There's so many freaky moments. Yeah, so like that was the beginning. And the ghost like, of Joey wants this story to be yeah, told. Yeah. So the next day we had a meeting at, at the gay Starbucks, and uh, and Larry and Larry was very very drunk. Larry Shishi, Shishi, right. um, uh, and very very drunk at the at the at when I met him. And so he's very very hungover the next day. I'm pitching my little heart out. I'm like, I'm going to turn this into a movie. I'm going to. I need to enter, but I can't tell the story without going through you. I have to interview everybody. I can't go through the book. Something didn't feel right about the book. And and he sat there and listened to me. He said, I will I will introduce you to everybody. But if you if I do this, you have to get this movie made because every day of my life somebody asked me about Joey Stefano. And if you don't get this movie made and I go through all of this, I will kill you. And I believed him. And so he started introducing me to everybody. That's Couple, a lot of pressure. <laughs> especially when it's Shishi LaRue yeah. coming at you. Yeah. And um, so uh, he started introducing me to people. Sharon Kane, um, everybody told me that Brian Maley would never talk to me. Brian was there. He's the one who basically found him dead. Right. And he died of an overdose? A, dr- of a drug overdose in right. 1994. Uh, uh, Karen Dior is, is uh, Jeffrey Gann. Uh, yeah. He has since passed. And several others have passed. So, um, and then, you know, there's hundreds of other people who knew him. But they, they were the core, and there was the porn brat pack. A couple people who were part of the pack didn't want to talk to me. And there was also this reporter, Mickey Ski. There was no Mickey right. Ski on the internet. Right. Couldn't find him. Started interviewing, went to New York, interviewed Jerry Douglas, interviewed uh, Robert Who's Prime. a director. He directed More of a Man. Yeah. Um, he and uh, interviewed Robert Pryon and, and a, right. a bunch of people who knew him in New York. Uh, somebody who was his last boyfriend. Uh, right. There's a word for You know, it's... Uh, his friend with money. And, right. um, and, I thought uh, you were going to say friend with benefits. And I was like, oh no, friend with That's friend a, with Come money to find better. out, come to find out, there were no benefits. There were no benefits. He, he was just, fr- he, he kept him alive. And he, but there was no. So they didn't hang no a benefits. Banky. Right. They, yeah. All right. That was, was a, a benefactor. Yeah. A benefactor. That's a good word for it. Okay. So um, I'm interviewing all these people and then I got to Sharon Kane. And Sharon was sort of like the mom of the porn brat back. Right. And she was a little older than everybody else, like in her 30s. And uh, we went to the Abbey, and I said, what do you want to drink? And she goes, I'd like a, a, a bottle. No, she didn't say a bottle of wine. She said, I'd like a glass of, of red wine. And so I said, bring us a bottle. So she fills it to the top, and she holds up her glass. She goes, everything I'm about to tell you, you have to tell the others. And I said, okay. And that's when everything started to make sense. I, I talked to her, and, then, and, uh, and there were things that came out that she had never told anybody. 
And from that, you know, she we were talking about Mickey Ski. And was she a performer? She was. She a was performer, a performer in the late eighties. Yeah, and behind music, the scenes, yeah, yeah, music and directing and okay. producing. Okay. And at that point, she was doing less work on film and, and more behind the scenes. Right. Uh, it, it towards the end of of. Nick's life. Nick Iacona is Joey Stefano. I always okay. call him Nick because that was his real name, and that's okay. what most people refer to. He's Nick. He's Nick. So uh, we. So she tells me these stories, and I'm like, "Holy shit! This is stuff that no one has heard before." And this is also why some of the things in the book didn't make sense to me, right? And uh, for whatever reason, and it had nothing to do with uh, Isherwood's research, and because he had researched, he had interviewed these people, but he had done it shortly after the death. They were all in their own drug addictions and alcoholism at that point. Right. They were protecting each other. They weren't, you know, truths weren't coming out. Right. It was and too soon. It was too soon. So, uh, but they all told me Brian Maley would never interview, would never do an interview with me. I go to Vegas. He was, he's living in Vegas now. I stay there for four days waiting for him to interview me. And he's a co-star? He is. He's the one who found him dead at the end. He was a, he was a, he was a rival of Shishi LaRue's. Okay. Back in the day. Lived across the street from him. Okay. And, uh... So it was a rival in terms of directing and producing pornography. Yes, 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 okay. yes. And it was also a performer as well. So it was, they're all in this world. So I went and I had things that I had to tell him that Sharon had told me. So now you're not just doing research. You have... You're a messenger. Now. I'm a messenger and I... Yeah, I'm For a, some bombshells. A liaison for... Yeah, he had no idea that these things had happened. And then he's telling me things that, of course, weren't in the book as well. And, and then, of course, I still haven't interviewed Larry yet. Shishi. And yeah. so... Uh, and then I'm trying to head down this guy named Mickey Ski. And yeah. I, at the time, I was going to Hollywood United Methodist Church. And we, over the summers, the sermons are based on movies. And then we bring the guest artist in and they do Q&As for the, to benefit the homeless. Right. So I got a phone call from the pastor that uh, Mike Szymanski is going to send us a copy of The Invention of Lying because I was going to be interviewing the directors after church. So this package arrives and I throw it on the coffee table. My roommate comes in and he goes, what's this? I said, oh, it's a book I ordered on Amazon. It's the it's Karen Dior's autobiography that I did through Amazon One Click. And uh, I'm sorry, I I said it's a... It, <laughs> the, what the package, I thought, was the movie. And my roommate opened it and it was Karen Dior's autobiography. And I said, where did that come from? And he goes, it came out of the envelope. I said, that's impossible. I ordered that through Amazon One Click. And he goes, this came out of the package, but it came from Mike Szymanski, who goes to church with me, who's supposed to be sending me a DVD. Right. So then I'm like, oh God, I have to call this guy and explain to him why. So Mike sent you the wrong thing. No, he sent me the book that I ordered through Amazon One Click and checked the number. Just out of all the random people in the world from it to come from, it came from him. Oh my gosh. Okay. And so I'm like, I, I... So he was the Amazon vendor. He was the vendor who right. had the book. And right. so I was like, holy... I mean, like, And I'm also waiting on this DVD as well from him. At the same time. At the same time. Oh, shit. So I, I call... I'm like, like, oh, God, read me the number. I've got to call him to explain why I'm buying porn. And he's like, uh, he sold it to you, so I think it's fine. And it's, it, right. Because it's not porn, but it's, it's Karen's biography called, right. called Sleeping Under the Stars. Okay. Literally. So uh, I call, I leave a message. The next day I'm at uh, Cedars doing a, a cancer thing. And he calls me back. He's like, you got the book okay? I was like, yeah, oh my God, crazy story. Out of all of the people on the planet for me to get this book from, it was you. And we know each other from church. He's like, yeah. He's like, what's going on? I was like, well, I'm writing this movie called Joey Stefani. He goes, oh, that's crazy. I knew Joey. He's like, that's so crazy. You didn't know Mike Szymanski was Mickey Ski. No idea. I knew that. Isn't that weird? Did you? Yeah. So, so I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. I'm not sure how I knew it. I guess from just being around gay media and stuff like that in the time and... But I'm like, met him. I, I'm, I was like, oh, I have to interview. He's like, yeah, I used to write under the name Mickey Ski. And I like, I fell against the wall. I was like, because I've been looking for this guy for three months. And yeah. I was like, 
And they're like trying to call me into the room. I was like, I will be right back. And so, and then I realized I'm at Cedars, which is where he might have died or, you know, that's where he was taken when he was pronounced dead. So it's totally random and weird. So, uh, so now I had Mickey Ski. And so all of their interviews informed what my script was. I never went back to the book because I wanted, I wanted, so you, I wanted you, to ask In other questions. words, so you're not really optioning the book. You're not, no, no, you're no, basing it on your own. No, it's all my own interviews. I interviewed about a hundred people. Why is Joey special? Because I remember him. There's a million people that do this kind of work that come and go. And he's very memorable. So for me, what it was, was reading the book. I was casting at Central... I was a senior casting director at Central Casting. Right. And so every single day, we had these monitors in the office, and we would see like 150 people come in and take their... You know, we would see them as they're coming in and registering. Yeah. And so we'd see the mugshot. And so every single day, you see these guys registering. You know, they want to be famous. They want to be movie stars. And right. And Central Casting is Ellis Island. It's the first stop. So uh, I would see these guys. And then you know, occasionally on set, or you're out in West Hollywood, you meet these guys like, yeah, I want to be an actor. And then... They've just moved here, and then a couple months later, you see them. They look a little thinner. Then you find out that you know they've been doing meth, and then they're back. They're or they're gone or they're dead. Like I mean, I I saw many Joey Stefanos in the early two thousands when I was at Central Casting. That's tragic. Yeah. because it's you know that's they come here, they want to be famous, they want to be, and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to come here and he wanted to be famous. Right. And so I think that's where I latched in and connected to because I didn't know him from the porn world. Um, that was really where I was like, oh, I know this. So kid. you hadn't seen his movies? No. Mm-mm. Okay. And, uh, and I didn't, I, I'd seen Shishi LaRue like around town, like doing yeah. events and stuff. And so, so I'm interviewing everybody. I get the script done. Um, uh, we start going out, uh, to, to actors. And at one point very early on, this is like a year later, Shishi, I see an article, um, Shishi LaRue in rehab. And I thought rehab was like a new event that he was throwing. Right, exactly. And I said, <laughs> Another name for whatever bar in West Hollywood is closing. Exactly. The Here Lounge is now called Rehab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, yeah. yeah. And so I so I called him and I said, uh, is rehab a new theme night? Because, oh, honey, I'm in, uh, I'm in AA. And he's been very public about this. And he's, and he's been very public about his struggles in sobriety and in and out. And he's been sober almost a year now. That's great. Again. And uh, we talked about it, and he said, well, it certainly didn't help that, you know, you were bringing up this story about addiction. Because at the end of the day, the movie, the story is about addiction, and about how he lost his life to addiction, how they all were in their addiction um, as well. The porn industry part of it is really kind of deep background. Right. And uh, so in the early 2000s, like 2002, three, as I'm starting to send a script out. We had Willem uh, Belli attached immediately as Karen Dior. He looks just like Jeffrey Gann. Yeah. We did photos of him. I love Willem. Willem had always... I'm a huge Willem fan. He's the best. He's a talented, talented actor. He's he's one of the smartest people that I know. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's just... He's... Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, I'm yeah. trying to find the right word for it because it's like, he's a businessman and he's... Uh, yeah. He's, he's, he's so good. But he's also a great little actor and... Um, and, and all the readings that the table reads that we did, the investor reads, everybody would like talk about how great he was. And it's a great character for him. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, Ryan O'Connor at the time and, you know, 10 year, 10, however many years ago it was, uh, Ryan, uh, was the right age and, and the right size for Shishi. And now Ryan, you know, is, is older and thinner. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, so you had a script ready to do a reading. Yeah. 
10 years ago? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a year after all of this started. Right. And I, I'm interviewing the stories and everything. Right. We were out to investors. And so, uh, and as soon as we were sending out to investor reads, the investors were like, yeah, this, your writing's really good. I love the story. Do you have a horror script? I'm like, no, yeah. I have this script. This is the right. one I'm trying to get. Well, you know, horror movies make a lot of money. Yeah, what else you got? I don't care. It's like, I wanted to make this movie. Yeah. And that's, you know, this has been the conversation I've had for 10 years. Right. And we were sending out the script to Missy Pyle was going to play Sharon Kane. She was attached from the from the jump. Love it. And um, we're sending the script out to the actors to play Joey Stefano. And I have all these conversations with agents. It's like he's never going to play a gay character. My client is not going to play a gay character. And then it, he's not going to play a, a porn actor. And it's like, he, and it was all these agents like they were just back. They wouldn't have these conversations now, but years ago, just the. The audacity that I would send a script right. to an actor to play a gay character. And then there was one actor, you know, and a lot of them have come out publicly since. And yeah. they were not back then. There was one actor who, uh, I was at a charity event and he had the script. I knew he had the script. We'd sent it to him. And uh, a friend had said he'll never touch that script with a, the 10-foot pole. And I, at the event, I said, I wrote Joey Stefano. And he literally turned around and walked away from me. He didn't want to get any on you. On yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. And so it I'm was surprised. just. Yeah. And it was, but just the, the, the. the How dare you? Like. You no, know, he was like, please don't out me in front yeah. of all of my friends. Because oh. they were all there from the show. And I think they probably knew. Right. But, um, I mean, no one was really. Surprised. Has surprised. this person since come out? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah okay. Yeah. It might have been a show involving a wolf. Oh, okay. Um, I think I, okay. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know yeah. the name, but yeah, I got you. So, uh, but I mean, again, that, there were a lot of actors that did, that wouldn't, their agents wouldn't do it. Right. And then, um, a couple of years ago, just catching that story up, we had an actor who, uh, his, his people were, he was on a series at the time, but he hadn't done any films. The series had ended his agents were so excited that, um, uh, Siri, right. don't worry. Siri, you know, whenever you say Siri or Siri, Siri, your phone goes off. Oh, okay. Um, he was on a TV show and, uh, his agents were really excited that he was interested in the script and said, we love the script. We're more excited. You know, he hasn't take, taken any feature films. And so we had a two and a half hour Skype, um, cause he was out of the country and we're talking about it. He's into the character. He's into everything. I'm like, I'm in my head. I'm like, I finally have Joey Stefano. And this guy's great. And I said, you know, at the end of the conversation, I said, well, you know, be sure you Google, you know, if you Google my name and Joey Stefano, you'll see the international interest in the show. Because at that point we had Alaska playing uh, the role of gender and Michelle Visage playing a, a, a talk show host. Right. And weirdly enough, the Willem, Alaska and Michelle, I'm not trying to make a movie about RuPaul's Drag Race. They're smaller characters. But they have so much international interest right. because of that. So they have a huge following. Huge following. And so when we announced Michelle and Alaska, press all over the world. We announced Willem, press all over the world. I said, if you go, you'll see the, all of the international press on the movie. And that's what freaked him out. Because he realized that it wasn't just that he was doing this movie, but it was a movie that he was actually playing a character that was known all over the world. Because of Joey, because Joey Stefano was known all over the world, Shishi LaRue's known all over the world. Right, and these characters are known. So it was like he knew suddenly, like this is a bigger thing than he expected. It just seemed too exposing. Too exposing. And his agents call me back uh, a couple of days later, and they're, this hurts us more than it does you, and I'm doubtful. 
Um, but they're like, he just, he was afraid of getting it wrong on a global scale. On a global scale. Interesting. So, and this part, you know, he, he just booked a huge new series. And I, I think he's super talented and I'm yeah. a lovely guy, but, you know, we still don't have a Joey Stefano. You still don't have a Joey Stefano. So you were never a fan of his work. Mm-mm. I just, no, I just, I identified to the kid who wanted to be famous and, yeah. and came from, you know, moved here on a, a bus and, and, you know... He had something special. Yeah. Uh, as a performer. And, you know, back then they had stories, these these porns and stuff. And he had, he brought something really fun and compelling and sexy and mischievous. Bratty. I think Bratty. That, yeah. But he was compelling. Yeah. Like yeah. he was, he was a star in a way that a lot of those other performers don't, they don't pop. Yeah, the, the Tom and he Cruise did. Of porn. And that was but that was never anything mm. that you were gravi- gravitated to. Did you go back and look at his work? I, I did after uh, having to do the research yeah. and stuff. And, we, and I needed to for some of the reenactment scenes. That yeah. We, I mean, it's it's a montage sequence of that, but like the more of a man sequences. And yeah. uh, I had to go back and look at those. And How long was he doing porn for? From uh, like 89 to 94. Okay, so a little while. Uh, he had a, one of his trademarks was he would occasionally eat his own load, as one does. As one does. It was very at the time that was like <laughs> that was kind of edgy. Yeah. Uh, you know that was his like mini pearl has a price tag. That might have been his he, thing. He liked beer bottles apparently. Oh really? That was another thing. Yeah. Interesting. Um, uh, he had a also a, a Mike a Mickey Mike Mike Szymanski. He has a, a video of the towel dance that he he would also do. As Interesting. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So, was there ever a time when you got so frustrated, you're like, I'm just going to put this on the back burner, I don't want to think about this? Or was it always alive in you? It's No, it's still alive. It's like, there are times when I've been like, I, I can't put more energy into this right now because right. I'm, I'm doing everything I can. It's like, I know right. it'll hit its time when it does. And, um, and the other person in, in this story that I've been trying to locate forever was uh, Tony Davis. Because Tony Davis is the guy who introduced Nick to Larry. Okay, um, so before... Joey Nick had done yeah, any he was, porn. Yeah, he was Nick. So he, yeah, he was, was the guy that, that he got him into Stephano. that world. Yeah. What was his thing? Was he was he dancing. Oh, uh, like, he, they were, Tony Davis and, and Nick were dancing in uh, the Gaiety Theater in okay. New York. Okay. So they come out here together. And, and, and you know, I wanted to inter- I wanted to find Tony Davis, but I couldn't find Tony Davis to uh, save my life. Cut to... You mean he didn't fall out of the sky when you were driving down? Yeah. Like, there's got to be another story. Try, try Facebook and... <laughs> oh, there is. Uh, try there Facebooking is? Okay. or Googling Tony Davis. and right. Tony Davis porn. Like, it's... So, about a year and a half, year and a half ago, maybe, um, I get this email from this guy, because there's a, there's a film page for the movie right. on Facebook, and this guy emails me named Wayne, and he goes, I'm Tony Davis's husband. And so, I'm like, call me right now. So, he calls me... And he's talking, and then I hear this other voice in the back. It, at first, and I, we, we laugh about this now. So it kind of sounded like misery, like he was talking for him. Yeah. And I, uh, I was like, so he's there? Come to find out, as he told me, he's like, he, well, you know, he's been sick for a while. And he has, um, oh my God, why can't I, I'm so brain, I want to say it's MS, but he has a debilitating mm. disease now. And he, it's very hard for him to talk, and he's wheelchair bound, and, and Wayne is his caregiver. And... Uh, so I was, I happened to be coming to LA the next week. So we got together in LA and I got to meet them and, and, uh, Vito is Tony's real name. Uh, I got to meet him and, uh, and Wayne told me that, you know, it was like, that was the most fun that he'd had in a long time. And he mm. didn't talk, he was, 
Wayne can understand what he's... I, I unfortunately cannot understand what he's saying. And he talks very soft, and Wayne was interpreting for me. Um, did you get details and stories yeah, and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, wow. And so, uh, which really helped inform more of the story. Right. And... Um, and it's and actually Wayne and Vito's love story kind of started at the end of Joey's story. So they they met in those late ninety early nineties right. days. Did Tony ever do porn? He did. Okay. He did. He did. And uh, I think he did porn and before he met Nick, and then that's how Nick. Yeah, and that's how Nick because Nick wanted him to be introduced through uh, through Shishi. So he did the introduction, and um, so I got to meet them, and then Mike calls me and he's like you have to come to my house right now this is mickey ski mickey ski okay and uh it's so i know everyone has yeah, seven a, names it's like batman like everybody's got an alternate right uh, okay um so in all of the research in the story it's like there was this story in it was in the book it was in all the the articles that were written that it was a he died and he was wearing a red hoodie right and um a red sweatshirt. And uh, so I wanted to know where was this, for whatever reasons, like I was obsessed with finding out what happened to the shirt. Right. I have no idea why it felt this, but this was my holy grail. Like I had right. to find a shirt. So I'd asked Sharon, Sharon didn't have it, didn't have, Brian didn't have it. Then after he died, so he dies at the Hollywood La Brea Hotel, right there at the corner of Hollywood La Brea. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that okay. Little, I think they just painted it a different color, but it's, okay. that he died there. They took him to Cedars. Uh, Larry, Sharon, Mike, I think uh, a bunch of people gather at the hospital. He's pronounced expired. They didn't. They weren't sure what that meant at first, and the doctor explained that he had died. Larry still had to go. She she had to go back and finish directing a porn movie that Nick was supposed to have been in that afternoon. So they had to replace him on the fly while his friend and love of his life had died. Mm. Um, but the rest of them gathered at Brian Maley's house across the street from where she she lived, and they're all like passing around this red hoodie, this red sweatshirt. Uh, and crying into it, and it was still wet from his sweat that he had, you know, died in. And that's what everybody, everybody told the same story. Everybody's passing the shirt around, and they're crying, and candles are lit, and... Where um, are they? Brian Maley's house. Okay. On, like, uh, Crescent Heights. Crescent. And what just, drugs just, was it? It was everything. Ket- ketamine. Uh, it was a whole mixture of, yeah. of drugs. Was meth a thing yet? It was not a thing yeah. yet. No, okay. it was a thing. It was a thing because... Yes, because there's one of the characters that was making their own meth yeah. in, in their kitchen. So it was definitely a thing at that, that point. And it was, we think it's an accidental overdose. Or I think was it's it an intention? Yeah, no. It, he did, he was not longing much for this world, but yeah. it was definitely, I mean, he, I think he was not planning on dying that day. Right. But he definitely was, he said that he was never going to live. Right. Uh, so, I mean, he, it wasn't intentional that day. And going back a little bit, you said the, his friend and love of his life. Were you talking about how Larry felt about Joey? Yeah, Larry was deep, and he's was been, he in love with him? Yeah, he's, and he's been very public about it that you know oh, that okay. was the love of his life. And you know, were they, they a couple? Never, never, ever, ever. Oh, okay. And there was no. Uh, it wasn't un, it was unrequited? Unrequited. And that's wow. part of the hurt that you know Larry feels when people keep asking him about it. And you can imagine some fucking writer that wants to like tell a story about you know the most painful thing that happens in your life. Yeah. So, um, uh, and then he's been very, I mean, he's talked about that in interviews and books and, sure. like, you know, I loved him. I loved him. I loved him. And yeah. every anniversary of his death, I loved you. And so, um, so, and to imagine having to go back to shoot a film when the love of your life has just been pronounced dead of a drug overdose. Wow. So they, they're all gathered at Brian's house. No one knows. And Mike said, I think Karen took the shirt, Jeffrey. I think he took the shirt. And so I start going through, I'm hunting down all of, 
uh, Karen's past lovers, half of them are dead from drugs or AIDS. And um, I, I befriended a couple of them on Facebook and they're like, no, I didn't get the shirt. No, I didn't see the shirt. No, I saw the shirt. She had the shirt. And I was like, oh, well, that's what it. Brian didn't have the shirt. Mike didn't have the shirt. Sharon didn't have the shirt. Larry didn't have the shirt. For whatever reason, this was Mike over nine years trying to find this damn shirt. So uh, Larry, uh, Mike calls me and says, come to my house. He found a box that had been in storage at his place. Oh, God. And inside were all of these costumes from Karen Dior. And inside of them, it's like right before Jeff died, he wrote little messages in each of the costumes. Like, I wore Jeff this. Jeff slash Karen. Jeff slash Karen. Okay. Uh, I wore this in da-da-da. I wore this in, you know, this was. And then, like, clothes. Like, this was a friend of theirs who had died as well. But it was like a vest. And so, and then he pulls out this red shirt. And in the pocket was a note that said, Joe, Nikki died in this. And Joe was his lover. Nikki died in this. And I'm, we're sitting there staring at this red kind of poplin cotton shirt. And I'm like, it's not a hoodie. And then Mike realized, he, he said, I pulled this out. And he said, wait a second. He goes back and he gets his notepad because Mike's office is a museum of, of all of his research. And he pulled out the notepad from that night. And he said, I wrote down a red sweaty shirt. And somehow... It became a sweatshirt. Yeah. Yeah. And then a sweatshirt begat hoodie. And so... So you saw it. Got to touch it. There's a video on the page, on on our Facebook page of the whole thing. And it's like, for whatever reason, it's like, it was like, that was like the ghost that was kind of, I've been chasing this entire time. And I was like, there it was. What is it about this story that you feel like you no needs to be told and idea. you need to tell it? I have no fucking idea. I can't tell you. I mean, that's that's been the thing. It's like I feel it's like, like the white whale. Yeah. The... I I love and and having met all of these people, I love them so much. I care for them so much, and I I'm deeply protective of their story. The fact that they trusted me to tell me everything about what happened. Um, and and we, I've always had an interest in in Hollywood history and stuff. Right. This is sort of a weird gay Hollywood history uh, that's got death and and, and, and But you weren't a, it wasn't like you were a fan of him. No. You know, mm-hmm. so, that, so you came through it in a different way. Completely different. Yeah, I identified with the... the, the I, I personally don't have an addiction problem, but I, I have friends who do. Right. I'm, I'm very fortunate that nobody in my family has addiction problems. Right. No, none of them do. Um, it just, which weirdly, we were all... I have enough stories from the South that that was the one thing that kind of skipped us all. Interesting. But I do have a lot of friends who have dealt with addiction. And a, a lot of the people that have come through this story, actors and, and real people, they have all since gotten clean. I've got to watch their stories as well. Like Ryan O'Connor is now clean and sober. It's, it's, it's weird. And, and it's weird to see how, how the story kind of affected everybody's lives. And it's like, I, that's why I know it's so It feels important. like, almost like the making of is almost a story in itself, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, where are you at now in terms of the, the getting of it made? So, fortunately, uh, thanks to think, like things like this and right. the Queerty article, I, there has been a more like, people have been asking around. People with money are starting to ask around. And um, I have a friend uh, in London who is interested in taking the international part of it which is a huge chunk of concern right i have a friend who's interested in trying to get it made but uh fears that there is no international value and of course this is not a cheap movie but it's one that it's one that i've always said if i can if i can get a million dollars i can rally the community that borrow steel 
I'm going to need a house. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need free extra. Like, I right. know that there are people. You can call in favors. I can call in all the favors. That's the one you call in all the favors for. Yeah. And, and it, um, it, it's a period piece. Yeah, it's, you know, late late 80s, early, early 90s. And yeah. The music is a very important piece to it because I think that's as much a character in the movie as, yeah. as everything else. Um, but I feel like everybody who's read the script uh, and, and people who are now clean and sober but... Or, or when they read the script, were clean and sober. Uh, Jennifer Menez, uh, other actors who read the script that were clean, they said it triggered me in a good way. Like it's like I realized this is a, this is an important movie that's going to help other people. With Interesting. Addiction. And so, and I really do believe that. What was his personality like, Joey Stefano's Nick? Appar- bratty. That's the word that every bratty. single. But people person, loved him though. They did, and but he it, wasn't like oh, what a pain in the ass. No, but he. I mean, he was like a ghost. He didn't have a car. Uh, he didn't have a credit card. I mean, when when he when he passed, I mean, he lived off of people's sofas. He lived around. I mean, he did have an apartment here with a, uh, with Karen and Sharon at one point, and uh, he you know he had a, it wasn't like he was homeless. Yeah. But at the end of his life, all of his things were in a black duffel bag. Interesting. A couple of pairs of shirts and a couple of pairs of jeans. Yeah. Did he turn tricks? Yeah. Yeah. He did. And yeah. he did it just for fun. I mean, he, yeah. he didn't... Uh, the thing that Sharon used to say is he gave his money away. That's how he showed affection. He gave everything away. And uh, he, like, money was not a thing that he was worried about. He just liked having a good time. Wow. Do you write about his background or where he grew up or anything like that? No. That's a very good... Uh, so this, um, if you Google the, the pre-story of this, you know, Mr. Isherwood's book... Uh, some family members tried to get it shut down. Allison Books. Um, the Was the advocate that owned Allison? Yeah, they did. Um, I did screening party with Allison. Yeah. yeah. So they went after... They, you know, they, they didn't want... The they didn't book. want the book to exist. No. So they, they tried to sue. But once you die, you lose your life rights. And he was a public figure. Yeah. So it got shut down. There were a couple of plays that people tried to do that they also went after and tried to shut down. But again... Once you die, you lose your life rights. So you can you can keep doing that, but eventually they stop suing people. So I decided to hit them head on. I'm like, I'm doing this movie, and I would like for you to be a part of it. So you, you know? reached out to them. I did. I was like, I'll give you a point on the yeah. back end. I would like to have the story. There's a really interesting story about when when he died. The corner, and then this, I would say allegedly because they'll come after me. But uh, when he died, the coroner's office kept calling Mike. Because he was the point of contact. He's like, I can't help you. I don't have money. You know, I'm not handling the body. Call the family. And the family said that they didn't have uh, the money to, to fly him back. So Alberto Sheo, who was a benefactor, uh, he paid to have the entire arrangements done. Wow. And, um, and, uh, and he flew a friend as well to... Alberto couldn't make it because he was out of town on business. But uh, that's how... That's how Joey's body got back to yeah. where? To uh, Chester, Pennsylvania. Wow. And so now we're looking for investors. Yeah. All right. Well, if you're listening to this and you have, you, you have money and you want this story to happen, because uh, it does feel like the universe wants it to happen. And I feel like now that out of nowhere, I mean, the, the thing that kind of hit us all that, and that when the interest started back up again a couple of yeah. years ago was Moonlight. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? Right. Like, suddenly, like, a movie about 
a, a gay black centric storyline is suddenly winning the Oscar. Yeah. And like the people weren't making uh, any sort of gay content. And then the next year, call me by your name. So it's like people, I know that studios are actively looking for gay content and gay stories. Rocket man, the yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. There's, there's, there are big gay biopics that are doing well. Right. And, and this is, it's not on that scale, but it's definitely, it fits into that canon. Right. So what should people do? Go to the Facebook page? They can go to the Facebook page and contact me through there. There's also yeah. an email address, joeystefanoproduction at gmail.com. Yeah. What's the craziest scene that's in your movie? The most ambitious set piece? So the, well, to me, it's it's a scene in the Gaiety Theater. So, you know, Madonna yeah. discovered him at the he Gaiety. He was in the sex book. He was in the sex book. Yeah. yeah. And that's a whole other piece. I of forgot scene. about yeah. that. So there was something about him. He had, he had star quality. Yeah. He really did. And like, because she could have picked any gay yeah. porn stars to be in her she, tome. She walked into the gaiety and she goes, and she t- allegedly t- uh, said, well, I guess I'm not the only star in the room. Oh, really? Yeah, to Joey Stefano. Because she knew, I mean, she knew who it was. And, yeah. Uh, and he, he was in her sex book. Yeah. And they were friendly. And then when he died, of course, it was all over the covers. The, 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 how that he was related in, in the news covers was Madonna's boy toy, Dead of right. AIDS. And uh, because it, it was the whole AIDS thing right. came out after several months after. Did he the have? Overdose. Did he have HIV? Do we know? We know that he was at least HIV positive, right? And um, we know at least that much. We don't know beyond. Yeah, that. but he and then yeah. depending on who he, you talk to, he was, was HIV positive. Yeah, I forgot about the Madonna angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the he. Um, there's a story that Alberto told me where, and he knew of the story. He wasn't there that night. But he was so high on drugs, uh, that, and it was only a couple of people were in the club, and a daytime thing, that the the owner shoved him on stage, and as he went on stage, he f- fell and stumbled, and he just started like, and he's like looking at the, like drugged out of his mind, looking at everybody on stage, and uh, he like kicks off his shoes, and like yanked off his tank top, and just like slithered out of his shorts, and then he stood up. And as he stood up, he caught a light, and he kept looking backwards, and he fell backwards and bashed his head in on the stage and passed out. Jesus. So they had to take him to the emergency room. Is that scene in your movie? Yeah. Wow. And to me, that's like, that's the big, it's, it's a really important moment in the movie, because it just shows you how, I mean, like literally shedding a skin and how literally the spotlight nearly killed him. Wow. The spotlight nearly killed him. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Do you need a? Is there a Madonna scene in your movie? Because I no. have the actress. My oh, you Nadia. do have the Winati. She's so yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, she. Uh, there was a scene written in, and it got cut out. Now it's just um, uh, she. She when she she got his copy of the book. It was yeah. a, a book soup, and he was standing outside waiting for the for the store to open. And he goes in and he gets his little mylar copy of it. And the woman behind the counter is like, "I can't believe people." Which I'm sure she didn't have a southern accent, but. Uh, can't believe people are want to see a bunch of uh, naked pictures. You know, saying that to to Shishi Larue, yeah, of all people, yeah. Wow, what a, he's a character too. Yeah. Oh, and then you know he's sober now, and it's like I just I'm so proud of him and and everything that he's doing for the people and the community of people that are in addiction because he's very vocal about uh, you know it 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 sometimes you relapse and sometimes yeah. these things happen and it's so important for people to know that. It's a process. It is yeah. day by day. And I interviewed him in like the mid '90s for this yeah. British magazine, and and at that time he was sort of at the high. That was thirty years, twenty. 
Uh, yeah, 25, 25 years, years ago, ago but he, yeah. and he's still in that world. And he has a new store on Santa Monica yeah. Boulevard. Is he rich? I how rich is Larry? I I I uh, we don't know. It's he's mysterious. Does he's, he live he's, fancy? He's rich in life. Uh, he's rich in life. Uh, I know that he. You know, Shishu Larue is a is a business, right? So, for sure. Uh, and I'm, you know, yeah, he's got two, it's the two stores now, yeah, right? Yeah, I think it's, so. It's down two the street stores. from each other. Yeah. But I'm so happy that he's the one who got Book Soup, or, or Circus of Books. Right. Uh, because that yeah. was a big, iconic location for yeah. our community on the street. And he so, turned it into one of his stores. And he kind of kept, kept it as Circus of Books. Yeah. So when you left LA, mm-hmm. were you like done with it? Or was it, how did you feel when you left yeah, LA? Yeah, so I had, I mean... There was a, there was uh, there was an event in my life. I was working for somebody, and uh, I it just kind of like opened my eyes to, oh, these people are only friends of, with me because of this person. And I was working for this person, and we in had, casting, uh, I was I was a celebrity assistant. Okay, and we had a falling out that most people would have been like, I'm I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. And that was not the situation with this one. Did you have a falling out with a, a friend or with the celebrity? It was a friend who was a celebrity that I was working for. Okay. And I realized that we yeah. weren't really friends. And, yeah. Uh, uh, it's this person... interesting when you have that moment. I've had that moment where you're yeah. like, oh shit, they don't care about me. Yes. And that's what it was. All. Yeah. And it was this weird... It was, a, And you can't not have that. You can't unsee that. Yeah. But you're like, you can have that moment of like, I can't unsee... Oh, you... You've never shown up for me. Yeah. You've never supported anything that I've done. You see me as your assistant. Okay, yeah. that's cool. I can now begin to pr- put you in that that yeah. shelf. I can just. I have to decide now if I want to have this relationship and lovingly detach from this relationship. Yeah. yeah. And so consciously a couple. Yeah. And so lovingly detached. Yeah. So okay. I was like, that's that was the moment. But then it was when all of my friends just kind of turned on me. The people that I thought were friends, and I was like, fuck it, I am out of here. Interesting. And so, but yeah. I, I kept my apartment here for three years. I was, my I, my roommate, Link Hand, we were roommates for 16 years. Yeah. Uh, and now he's on 68 Whiskeys, and he's, he's in my movie. Uh, Is 68 Whiskeys a show or something? It's a Paramount, it's a pretty big thing yeah. for a Paramount Network. It's just premiered, and he's a series regular on that. Fantastic. And, and he, so, yeah, but he started off as a kid from Alabama. I was like, yeah. I'm going to be an actor. I'm like, you're going to be back in Birmingham six months. And now he's, he's working all the time. Good for him. But um, I, he, What's we his had name a again? Link, L-A-N-C, Hand. Okay. Um, he, so we were roommates for, for years. And uh, we had a house in Glendale that was like super dirt cheap. So I just kept paying rent. And then yeah. I'd come back, you know, every couple months. And, um, and But then I eventually moved out in 16 for good. And yeah. then I spent time between... I was casting all over the Southeast. I was doing Mercy Street in Richmond and a bunch of features in Savannah and Atlanta. So I, so you know all the actors in Atlanta. Do you know? I feel like those... I know every actor in the Southeast at this point. Yeah, awesome. Did you enjoy casting for a while? I did. I mean, do you I still enjoy it. Not anymore. I, yeah. but I did. Like I got to do Magic Mike XXL. And yes, that was a blast. And Selma was a blast. I think you cast and... some people that I know, like Kathy Deitch. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Haviland Stillwell, yeah. who were friends of yeah, Zarley's. Yeah, yeah. That were I, I, had, the... I had breakfast with her today. Yeah, which one? Uh, Haviland. Oh, I love her. Zarley. She's the best. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Kath, yeah, Kathy's been a couple of things that I've done. Yeah, um, some Magic Mike XXL. Yeah, and... and um, that must have been fun. Uh, it was so much fun. I... Channing Tatum is a nice... He's one of the nicest guys on the planet. I hear that. And I'm worried about him. Where is he? What's he doing? He's been laying he's low. Back, he's back with... What's-her-face? Jesse J. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, I feel like Chan someday is going to tell us what this period was like when he's ready. <laughs> but I feel like that movie uh, has a spirit about it that is very subversive and very life affirming. And I have this question in one of the decks oh, of yeah, cards, and yeah, it's yeah. also in my game. What movie would you like to live inside? And I, we played once, and I think it was my friend Danny said that movie. But I understand why, because it's sexy, but everybody's little kink or whatever was okay in that movie. Yeah. Everyone was okay, was allowed to be themselves yeah. in a way that I thought was really refreshing. Yeah. And that was, did that feel like the spirit of the movie? It was so funny because I had said something on Twitter after the first movie. I'm like, why does this movie have a plot? All we care about is Channing Tatum dancing. Cut to the sequel. There's no plot. There's no in plot. That movie. It's just about being just together. Fun. But he apparently had deep searched my Twitter. Yeah, I guess he did Channing Tatum chatter. Now I don't know how he did it, but at one point he's like, "Did he come across that tweet?" He did, and he said, "Not bad for a movie without a plot, right?" Thank. You. He called you out. You got called out by Channing Tatum. I got Tatum. blocked by Channing. Tatum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we I mean, we were all a little families. I mean, we we saw yeah. each other and had lunch and dinner and. I mean, it was, we were there for two months together. So. Where was it shooting? Savannah, Georgia. Okay. We shot the entire movie in Savannah one day in Myrtle Beach. The last wow. Um, I, I love the spirit of that movie, though. Yeah. It feels like they were, say, they were saying something, right? Yeah. About sexuality. Yeah. About... And friendship. I mean, I think friendship it was more, yeah. And also, like, what you have to do for money. It felt yeah. very, like... It felt like people scratching by, just like, you know, a lot of people that I know and yeah. myself in some ways and just doing what they had to do and being with their friends and like making the most of it. I yeah. mean, it was just, it was like, it was adult summer camp. I mean, it someday was just, I will go to grad school and write a thesis about magic. Mike XXL do because there's something about it that I feel like is is spirit about it that I feel like is conscious from the makers of it. Yeah. But also a little subversive and a, a very sort of life affirming. Let your freak flag fly. You got your Jada Pinkett Smith in there. Yeah. Which that was... Yeah. Uh, you got your Andy McDowell. Oh, the Andy McDowell of it all. She, yeah, the Andy McDowell was, of it all. That was like th- a three... That, that scene was, I think, a, th- a three-day shoot. Yeah, it was a big part in the middle of the yeah. movie. What's your favorite movie that you worked on as a casting director? I really love this movie, Emperor, that comes out next month. It, that was... It was a... The, the producers and the director, which Mark Amin directed it, just had a lot of fun on that movie. I, Magic Mike XXL probably... Catwoman. Catwoman with Halle Berry? Yeah. And I did not realize that that was down there. No, was it wasn't. It was here. Was here. Okay. And I mean, the reason that I say that was, it was absolute insanity because we reshot half the movie three weeks before the movie opened. Holy shit. And I was at Central Casting and they had shot so much of it in Canada that I had to go into the editing bays at Warner Brothers and watch scenes and then they would read I had to find extras to look like the people, like I was photo doubling extras of extras for the movie and like they would like pull sets together to make it look like, and then I had to have like three women who looked like Halle Berry. Try finding three women who look like Halle Berry. I know. Who can play basketball. Well. And I mean like, if, and the, the, like I had to call the Harlem Globetrotters and they were like, if you find a, a, a Halle Berry lookalike that can play like us, let us know. We will take her. Yeah. I mean the most random things. But like, it was, but you enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the insanity. I remember at one point at three o'clock in the morning getting a phone call saying we, we were shooting this thing at seven o'clock in the morning and just kind of like whimpering, crying and getting in my car and having to drive to Warner Brothers like in my scrub pants and tank top and like watching this footage and then having to go into the office and doing a rush call for like 20 people who looked like these people. 
Wow, because so, you had to match the background people. Yeah. Because they were doing inserts and reshoots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Well, yeah. it all worked out because the film turned out great. <laughs> yeah. It won awards. It won awards. <laughs> it I won. did. I think it won a Razzie. It did. And did she show so, up? She did. She accept, That's the one she accepted. Yeah. It was, Good yeah. for her. I love when people show up and get their Razzie. Yeah. Um, you also act, and yeah. you were, I was following you on Facebook, you were doing a play while you were doing pre-production for this yeah. movie. Were you flying back and forth? I was flying, yeah. I, we, we started rehearsals in November. Yeah. December 1st is when David said, so we start shooting January 15th, and I said, no, I can't, because my play opens January 17th. And David and his partner were expecting twins in two weeks, in three weeks. And, and David is? David's the producer. David okay. Brown. And so he said, well, we want to do the movie before the babies come. And I'm like, I get that, but I can't do this. I can't drop out of the play at this point because then I'm an understudy. Right. And so I said, but I can make it work. I'll fly myself back and forth. So I, Christmas Eve, I flew to L.A., prepped for a week. Um, and then I, after the first, we were in tech rehearsals. And then after the very first matinee, Sunday matinee performance, I flew back, prepped, flew back on the red eye. Flew back, prepped. So I was flying back and forth in between the show. You're like one of those series regulars who books a movie. You know, it's like Chris Pratt's doing whatever and then going off and doing... I don't know. That's what... You were living that showbiz... I was literally telling friends, like, do not come to the Sunday matinee because I can't say goodbye to you because I literally had to run out the door. Oh, my gosh. And, and then we had a casting hiccup where we lost our two leads uh, a week before we opened. And I... I the mo- you lost your movie leads. Yeah. A week before you opened the play. No, but before we started country. shooting the movie. Holy shit. Okay. And uh, so the Friday night performance before we closed, the Friday before the matinee, the Friday before the Monday we start shooting, I get a phone call from, uh, oh, I get a text message from the agent of Shannon Sossaman saying, can the director talk to her in 15 minutes? And I said, I can talk to her for 15 minutes in 15 minutes because then I go on stage. So we spoke. They come in and we're still like talking and we're, you know, she's, she'd read only the first 50 pages of the script at that point. And so the stage manager comes in kind of size places and I turn around and like flipped her off and said, I will be on stage when I get on stage. And, uh, cause this shit. is the most important call of my life right now. Right. Cause you need her to come through. Yeah. Cause if not, I don't have an actress and yeah. we start rolling Monday. And she's, she did come through. She did. Like, Why I got do we back, know her? I know her she name. She was in, uh, Rules of Attraction. She okay. was in Knight's Tale. Okay. Uh, Wayward Pines. Got it. Uh, Sinister 2. Okay. Uh, she, Does she play The Undertaker's Wife? The she is The Undertaker's Wife, yeah. Nice. And then John Brotherton from Fuller House that night. So we got her. I came back from intermission and my phone was blown up from text messages like, she's in. So I'm like, thank God we have her but we still don't have the husband. And, and you're so, on stage trying to act and play a role and you're in the back of your head are you thinking, oh, dude, I get Sha- the, the, Shannon Sossman or the not? The play is Moonlight and Magnolias and I was playing David O'Selznick who's losing his entire Gone with the Winds imploding yeah. around him. So I had done... All of this research on David O'Selznick and right. the accent and the and the every I knew every moment of his life around this time. But literally, all I had to do on stage every night was just walk on and just be present because my life was that right. At that point. You were you were living the movies falling apart, and and there were so many lines that were in the play that I would catch myself saying. Like last night, I I we were turning around and it was, I was I was trying to be. Somebody was trying to rush me to get this shot done. Yeah. I turned around and said, I don't have a movie yet. And I don't have the shot. Which is a, a scene in the 
in the, in, in the play. In the Did you finish last night? You finished? We Yeah, we wrapped it. We yeah. 11 and a half hours last night. Wow. So, yeah. And here you are, just t- sitting here talking like a like a normal person. Almost like a normal person, yeah. Like a normal person. What you, and then you're going to Palm Springs? Yes. To just chill? Chill out. Awesome. What's the dream gig for you? What's the dream of... How would you like your life to be shaped in terms of work? It's changed because I've always wanted... And I still love acting. I love... I love... I did Hedwig and I, I loved yeah. that whole process of... of creating character I loved creating David Selznick and I do love that part but at lunch on the first day of shooting on this movie uh, a couple of, you know people come in and just like you're doing really well I'm saying I kind of built for this it's like I think the all of the years in 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 the writers rooms has taught me story and all of the years in casting taught me how to get a performance out of an actor right and and I visually, I know what I want it to look like, so I can talk. I can go to my DP and be like, "Well, can we do this? Can right. we do it here?" Can we? And and it's really just about. And I've I've always been the kind of a people pleaser, so to I just want to make sure that everybody on set it feels comfortable and happy, and I don't want to waste their time. Right. And I want them to feel like they're a part of it, and that they that I'm listening to their. I always had an open door policy. If you have an idea for anything, let me know. And so I really do love directing now. The, the directing and the writing part is. I would say that that's in my forefront now right. as I try to transition out of casting. When you spent time in writer's rooms, was that as a writer or as in casting? Writer's assistant. Writer's I was assistant. the showrunner's assistant on oh. Crossing Jordan for the last season of the show. And, oh, interesting. And uh, Did she finally cross Jordan? Did she get across? She, she finally crossed. Yeah, she, she crossed over. Thank God. She was doing that for a while. Well, there were a lot of people crossing Cro- Jordan. A lot of people crossing Jordan. A lot of people crossing Jordan. A lot of people yeah. judging Amy. Yeah. yeah. What do you miss about L.A.? The air, there's something, and I know we have an like air quality thing here, but it's like there's there's an energy in the air, like when right. you get out, it's it's like, I, I can't describe it, but especially Palm Springs, the energy yeah. in Palm Springs. Yeah, oh, I love it. But it's just, there's a calmness that, and I, I don't know what it is, uh, that I love. I love the creativity. I love being around people that are really passionate about. Uh, Everyone's got a dream. Everybody's got a dream. And and that's, that's a good thing, and sometimes it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. But it's also that... Where you the movies that we watched growing up, the things that made us love film, right? The history of film, the things that made us aspire to to want to work in films. Now you're living down the street from where that happened, right? Or you now, could go to a screening at the Egyptian, and there out walks the star of the movie that yeah. you've loved for all these years. I got to work with Mark Singer. Oh wow! Uh, he he plays the sheriff in my movie, and I was what the, was his thing? Beastmaster, V and Beastmaster, yeah, right. And I was such a huge fan of V that, yeah. like, and he was such a gentleman and total pro, and he was like the cooler, I love the it. chiller on set. Like he's he came on set and like everybody just jumped. When do you think the Undertaker's wife? How, what's the distribution plan? Or is there finish it and then try to get into festivals? Right. Well, I want to do a festival run yeah. first, but uh, my money people want to make money as quickly as possible. Right. Which I understand. Okay. And uh, so it's currently at the Berlin Film Festival being, they're doing international pre-sales right now, or international oh, nice. foreign sales. And they've right. had a lot of offers. So that's Already? Cool. And they yeah. do they have footage? They have some footage from the first two weeks, and yeah. they have the poster. Yeah. And the, that's, you know, that's how they sell movies. It's a yeah. poster. And yeah, there you a go. A little bit of information, a couple actors. And, I love that. And we have uh, a lot of, after the press announcement came out this week, uh, yeah. a lot of domestic interest now as well, so. yeah. You mentioned earlier when you're telling your story, and I remember this from before that that you had cancer. Yeah, right. What year was that? When was that? That was eleven years ago. It was eleven years ago. And what kind was it? I had testicular cancer. Testicular yeah. cancer. And it sucked. It's it's. it's I not can't great. imagine. I don't it's recommend. Not fun. It. 
how did it change your priorities or anything like that? Did it have it, a noticeable effect on how you approach life? It it did. I mean, it was like, I, but I think for me, the most part was like, it was only like a day or two where I was like, before the surgery and chemo and everything, where I was like, I'm going to die. Right. Like I was like, this is how it is. Sean Hayes and Todd Milliner and I were trying to pitch a series right. um, that we're still trying to pitch. And, um, and I remember I found the lump and I was like, I think I have can't, you know, it's like, it can only be one of a few things. Right. And the next day is when they call me and say that they weren't taking the, the show any further. They had run out of options at this point. But, you know, we want to find something to work with you on. And I'm like, no, this is how I die. I'm going to die. That's, that's why the series isn't moving forward. It's because I'm going to die. Right. And that was like, I was going to Oh, my this. God. Oh, shit. Um, that was not a great day in my life. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it's like I, um, I was, I knew that the only way I was going to get through it was by not acknowledging it. Like I did, I did the chemo. I did everything I was supposed to do. I showed up for every appointment. Right. But I just could not allow it to run my life. And right. So, and my even my oncologist was like, I wish you would take this more seriously. I was on. I remember being on the phone. I was texting because I was working on a documentary about cancer. Right. It was like I caught cancer is what I felt like. Um, and I was I was texting back the the, uh, the producer and he goes, I need you to take this more seriously. And I looked up. I said, I've done everything that the oncologist that, said. Yeah. That. Yeah. And I said, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. And he said, well, I feel like you're just treating this like it's a, it's a major inconvenience for you. And I said, it is. That's what it is. It's a major incon- inconvenience for me. Yeah, that's and, my uh, strategy. Yeah. And I, wow. I think that was a healthy, at the time it may have been protection and self-preservation, but it's like, it definitely helped me because I didn't wallow in it. And I definitely, I was very public. I had a blog at the time about cancer and I yeah. blogged about the whole thing. And, yeah. and I had people, you know, found it and were asking me questions. I still have people that ask me questions about Well, I think you become part of a community. Yeah. I noticed that just from being a family member of somebody that has, because then there's a language, there's yeah. uh, stages, there's, you, you, it becomes sort of this, it's like you all take the same class. And yeah. Or you know, like you, there's a, there's a, I don't know, there's a community that builds around it. And yeah. you, you've, there's the things that we all kind of tell each other that, that you don't consider. It's like, right. and you immediately, and it's like you want to, you don't want to rip that band-aid off and say, there are going to be people that, that stop talking to you and just be prepared for that. And there are going to be people who will say the wrong thing. And, and every TV show and movie that you watch is going to be about cancer and you think you're going to die. Right. And at the time, like every TV show, everybody's dying of cancer, dying Grey's Anatomy, like every show. And people stopped talking to me. And like after it was all done, they were like, I just didn't know what to say. I'm like, well, that I felt like you were abandoning me. Yeah. And so... And, you know, people don't know how to grieve. And that's the thing. And I think that and people don't know how to handle situations like that. And But that's what you need to know when you're going into cancer. And the fight is not necessarily that you're fighting cancer. You're fighting your insurance company yeah. every single day. Oh, you're fighting bills. Like that's the things that you don't think about. Was there a moment when you thought, oh, I'm going to be okay? Yeah, I, I think... Um, it wasn't until I was out of chemo because chemo, I thought chemo Chemo's was going to kill me. Bitch, I thought right? it would kill me, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing was, I I had long hair at the time, and he said, your hair might fall out. And so after the first one, he's like, oh, you, you know, your hair hasn't fallen out. You're hanging like, in. No. And then the second time, he's like, he's like pulling on my hair. I said, well, you know, oh, some of it's come off on the pillow. And then the third time, he's like, are you going to chemo? I said, you're literally walking me across the hall after every appointment. Right. He thinks you're cheating because you have a good head, your hair is hanging in. Yeah. And then the fourth, the fourth time, he, he walked in and he goes, how is your hair not falling out? And I said, you said it might not. And he goes, no, your hair was totally supposed to fall out. Like, I, that's just something we say because it might not. <laughs> and, uh, um, oh, wow. So so then that was my last one, and then I shaved my head. 
Yeah. And then everybody thought, oh, your hair fell out. And I said, no, I, I did it. And why did you wait until now to shave your head? And I said, because it was the only thing that I could control. Interesting. So that was you, shave my head. you didn't have to. Mm-mm. It came through, but you you did it. And I'm shaving my head uh, in two weeks for uh, St. Baldrick's uh, Children's Cancer Charity. Interesting. Yeah, my agent and I are shaving our heads together. All right. Do you have your is your agent in Atlanta? Yeah, awesome. So you're yeah. shaving your heads together. Yeah, Sarah Carpenter. So I love it. We're gonna have a little bond. Oh, bond, show bond. you have a, a female. Yeah, curl, her long curly hair is gonna go in. Wow, interesting. All right, you mm. didn't. You want to do some observational yeah. questions, but you didn't pick. Uh, you want to do some random ones. So do let's random do it. Ones. What movie did you see when you were way too young to see it? <laughs> uh, I think uh, Night of the Living Dead. Interesting. Because I saw that in my school. My junior English teacher showed us that. That's crazy. I remember like being very freaked out about. Yeah, that could have started my whole horror thing. Yeah, dead bodies. Yeah, our junior English teacher showed us Night of the Living Dead. I don't know why. I was definitely younger, but yeah. we were crazy. And then when I came out to California on a on a choir tour, we saw The Sound of Music at a dinner theater, and it was Judy O'Day who played Barbara. Oh wow! We, so it was like, oh, oh my wow, God. Yeah, 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 she's a big star. To get you. Yeah, have you ever written a fan letter or email or anything like that? I did. Well, I've written a lot recently. Yeah. Like Mark Singer, I'm such a yeah. fan. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think the first one I ever wrote to was Gunther G- Gable Williams, who was Who's the that? lion tamer. He was that the hot lion tamer during uh, Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus. Interesting. And he sent me an as a little kid. So you saw them live? In, yeah, yeah, in, in person. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't know if you have anything for this. What was on your lunchbox as a kid? I had, uh, it was Super Friends. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And you were into it. Yeah, yeah. It was good. Yeah. Was it plastic or was it, was it metal? It yeah. was a yellow plastic one. Yeah, so you're younger. That's, that's cool. Uh, when was the time when you gave into peer pressure? <laughs> last night. Uh, what uh, happened last night? Uh, I just had, I had, uh, I had someone trying to get me to move faster and I was like, I move, we're, we are all moving as fast as we possibly right. can right now. Right. Uh, and it wasn't a producer. All right, somebody uh, else. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. I don't think I've. I don't think yeah. I've ever really. I don't think. What I've were you like as a teenager? Did you? Did you? Um... I was very dramatic. Were you? Figure. Yeah, I always thought I was dying. Uh, I. Uh, I was were you like in the drama club I and all that stuff? Definitely in the drama club. Yeah, yeah, yeah We yeah. all wore black. Oh, you were kind of gothy. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, that's what you do when you're in the theater. You wear that's black. That's right. When did you come out? Uh, I don't really know. I don't think yeah. I've ever been in. Yeah. So it was never, never really, like a yeah. big, like dramatic thing. Yeah. Um, how was your school in terms of like, did you get picked on and yes, stuff like that? Completely. Yeah, yeah, a thousand yeah, yeah. percent. And what was really great was that uh, in when I got my freshman year, I was all of the the older kids in uh, I was in chorus and and in uh, the drama theater department. They were all my best friends. Like, I mean, they nobody. Nobody treated me like I was a little kid. Like, I was just one of them. And nice. That was, and I'm still really good friends with all of those guys now. Right. That's cool. I love that. All right. Let's see if there's any more. Yeah. Uh, where were you when it hit midnight on Y2K? I was at my friend uh, Jenna Singleton's house, an apartment in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. You're bringing it in. Yeah. We, were, we all kind of, like, took a brass right before it happened. Yeah. Because we're on the East Coast, and so. Yeah. You, the world could be ending. You never yeah. know. Uh, let's see if we have any more. What's something you've worn only because someone else wanted you to? Uh, this, so there's a docu series or, or behind the scenes yeah. that uh, was filming the entire movie, and I wasn't allowed to wear anything with a logo or anything. So I had to like wear it like you know, like I'll never wear this. There this was is a my movie. docu series while you were filming the movie, yeah. The Undertaker's Wife. Yeah, interesting. It's it's more right now. It's behind the scenes, but it potentially could become 
uh, a series. So right. that's because it, it was there every day. Right. Which also kind of holds you accountable. To yeah. You so you can't snap. be a total <laughs> nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever lose your? Did you ever lose your? What was I, your moment where I, you came the closest? I did lose my cool last night. And yeah. I apologize for it, but it was yeah. like I. We had a lot of work to do yesterday, and it was all very, very technical stuff. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's The Undertaker's Wife, so there's an embalming room. So there's, yeah. a, there's a whole, like, embalming scene that we do, and it's all very technical. So we had a surgeon that was doing all of the technical stuff with the makeup. And Did you have a fake body? and like We had the real body, real body but fake stuff under his neck. Yeah. And so he's having to lay still while all of this, you know, the cutting yeah. and the tubes oh, and blood and everything. God. And it, the makeup was so good that they were like, let me show you the carotid. So they reached under and they pulled the carotid artery up and I I nearly passed out. Like wow. it was so disgusting. It looked so real that I I, I nearly passed. And, and the somebody was yeah. the behind the scenes guy was filming me. He said, You went white. And uh, Wow. But no, I, I did snap last night because I wanted a rehearsal of something and I was like, Well, let's just let's just go. And I said, No, I want a fucking rehearsal. And because I wanted it was a bunch of background working and Yeah. And I apologize later, but it's like if I I'm the director, if I want something. Yeah. You're the Don't director. Fucking how? Where'd the money come for the movie? Uh, I film fund that. Um, nice. Yeah. Good for you. All right. So we've done. Um, we've done some questions. We talked about your movies. Where can people learn more about like the Joey Stefano movie and and what would you like them to do? The Facebook page. Uh, yeah. I think it's Joey Stefano Film. Nice. Um, and uh, and then I also uh, cover a lot of it on my Instagram, which is just at Chad Darnell on Twitter, at Chad Darnell. Yeah. Um, okay, final question. Imagine yeah. the movie exists. It exists. It's, it's come together the way you want it to. What do you hope people get from his story? I hope that people realize that if they have addiction problems, uh, that they can get help. I, it's, I, I have a lot of friends that work in the adult entertainment industry, but I also have a lot of family that's in the Deep South, so they don't understand the porn industry. Right. They, they don't understand why people would do that. Right. And it, so it's, there's no judgments on people who do porn it's, and, and work in, in the industry. Uh, it's about how the addiction is a disease that wants you dead. Yeah. And, and I hope that that's the message that people get out of the movie because that's, that's what we sewed into it and that's what everybody has responded to. And, um, you know, he was somebody who I never met and the entire time that I was writing the script... I had to write his voice. I had to write Karen Dior's voice, and I had never met them. They, they were the only two people that I couldn't meet because they were right. dead. Right. And so, as everybody's reading the script, I was really concerned that I didn't have their voice. And Sharon and, and Mike and Larry would be like, "Oh, I remember when that happened." And it's like I wasn't there, and I didn't hear their voice. So it's like I really felt like they were kind of there with me, kind of writing through me. And um, the great thing about the script is there's nothing that's made up. Yeah. It, the fact is way stranger than anything I could come up with. And so it's all, everything that happened in the script happened. Well, I hope you get to make it because I hope it, to get to watch it. Um, thank and thank you for uh, doing this podcast. The I, day after you, you wrapped a movie, you should you. be on a spa somewhere. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. You're off. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Chad Dardanelle. Keep an eye out for all of his different projects. All right. So this happened. A few weeks ago, I did a podcast interview with two of the actors from a show called For the Love of a Glove, Danielle Gaither and Pip Lilly. It's a musical about Michael Jackson's glove, uh, and the glove is an, an alien, part of an alien species, and the glove makes Michael do all the crazy things that we all saw Michael do. So it's absurdist and musical and edgy and out there, and I actually got to go see it um, 
last weekend, and it's really funny and really edgy, and they just kind of go there, but I really enjoyed it. And what I didn't uh, expect, even though Danielle and Pip talked about this, is the puppetry in the show. These puppets are so beautiful and elaborate. Um, there's a full Jackson 5, young Jackson 5 puppets, and the glove is a puppet, and the glove has four other aliens glove puppets. It was just really like, it was sort of like Pee Wee's Playhouse meets the Book of Mormon meets, I don't know what else, meets meets Thriller or This Is It or something. But um, it's playing in LA for the love of a glove.com. Um, it's certainly edgy and I laughed a lot and the cast are super talented. Choreography is really good. Um, the songs are catchy and fun and it makes you think a little while you're laughing. So if you're in LA, you want to do something different, I highly recommend it. Um, that's enough. That's enough for this week. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye! <laughs>